1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage One, online accounting software designed to create freedom for small businesses to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Ferris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, we will be talking about corporate social responsibility. Is it progress or PR? Well, welcome, Ed. So what do you think? Are corporations socially responsible?
2: By definition. that 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 is
1: exactly my take. By definition. End, end of show. I guess we're end, done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, folks. Next week. Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely. You know, this whole corporate social responsibility movement, which has been around for a long time. I mean, I didn't go back and look and see when it originated, but I want to say in the 70s, maybe 80s. Um, and But what really put it on the map was a a, a talk that Bill Gates delivered in January of 2008 in Davos, Switzerland, you know, at the World Economic Forum, where he coined and introduced the world to this concept of creative capitalism. And he basically said that there were two great forces in human nature. He said there was self-interest and caring for others, which... You know, I, I would tend to agree with that. And he said that corporations needed to do a better job lifting the poor from poverty and, and solving other types of problems, you know, malaria and water and all of these different things. And and he, he coined, coined this term creative capitalism. And I was thinking the whole time, Ed. Wait a minute. I, I thought capitalism was
2: creative, absolutely. I say yes, yet another redundant term. I, I hate to be redundant again, but yes. <laughs> it's, it, 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 by definition, that's, that's what companies, corporations, entrepreneurs do. And let, let me state this: at least originally, right? Every organization goes into business with a thought process behind it about what is it that I can do that helps someone else? And they in helping someone else, yes, I'm, I'm going to get paid for that, but because I can do it for them better than they can do it, it's a win-win situation. And we've talked about this on a number of shows, but I think today we're, we're going to really clarify for in our listeners' minds in a lot of ways why we even call this show The Soul of Enterprise. Because we both of us at our heart of hearts, in our heart of hearts, really believe that it's the purpose of corporations to to do good by definition and the fact that they give to charity that's even better in certain circumstances and we'll talk about the specifics of that but just being in business and being sustainable and that's really the new buzzword right ron sustainability absolutely as as a as an ongoing concern benefits society by definition because both sides in a transaction Benefit. Now, we're not talking about rent-seeking and businesses that do things that are surreptitious in some way, and there are clearly some that do that. But the overwhelming majority of businesses do good. <laughs> they, do, they do
1: good. And, and, you know, Ed, do you think some of this, not to pull back too far on this, but do you think some of this is because capitalism or, or as Deirdre McCloskey would say, what is it, market tested Market-tested
2: innovation and supply, and yes. Supply. And, Thank you.
1: That's yeah. a mouthful. But, yeah. but uh, it's dead on
2: accurate. It, it is. It
1: is. Uh, but do you think, uh, whether you call it capitalism or the other one, do you think it's because it's kind of a counterintuitive system? And there's really, you know, nobody marches in the streets for capitalism. You know, people put on Che Guevara t-shirts and march for socialism and social justice and all of this. But who Who sits around and marches for capitalism? You know, the old joke about this is why libertarians don't do street marches. They all end up in the bookstores. But there is no good theory. Capitalism doesn't sound too good in theory, but it works really well in practice. And socialism, communism is just kind of the opposite.
2: Right, right. Where it works in in theory, just not in practice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think I think there is. I think capitalism has gotten a bad name, and you know, there's in a lot of ways it is more spurred on more recently by things that, like the Pope is saying uh, about capitalism, and what I found interesting is there was a poll this week done about religious affiliation and whether or not you were for big government, small go- government and, and, uh, by the Pew Institute. And one of the things that they point out is that the Hispanic population in the United States tends to be more about big government, whereas everyone else, including this was by the way, specifically about Catholics. They were the only group of Catholics that overwhelmingly favored bigger government. Yes. And I, and I think that this, this has to do with the, the, the origins and history of the way "quote unquote" capitalism has worked in Latin America, because it, it it has never really been what you and I are using the heuristic for shorthand capitalism. It's never really been that. It's always been cronyism, and I and I think that the current pontiff uh, is is subject to to that misinterpretation. To be honest with you.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. In fact, uh, you know, crony capitalism is a contradiction in terms. I mean, capitalism isn't about cronyism. So I I like John Stossel's term. It should be called crapitalism.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or I think handy capitalism was another one. I I like that one too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, this corporate social responsibility, I I have to tell you, I've been been reading this book or rereading it because I actually read it a while ago. And it's called Creative Capitalism. It's edited by Michael Kinsley. Who was uh, a journalist? He is a journalist on, on, uh, at Slate, the online magazine, which I think at one time, or maybe still is, owned
2: by Microsoft. Yeah, it was definitely um, spawned off by Microsoft.
1: Right. And and at one point I think Michael Kinsley was uh, the narrator on the William F Buckley show Firing Line, another conservative likes to call him the President Day Eleanor Roosevelt. But I don't want to get too personal. But anyway, he he wrote, he edited this book called Creative Capitalism and folks as you know, we'll put all of all of the books we mentioned on our show notes. And it's a compendium of essays and contributions from different thinkers. You know, people like Richard Posner Warren Buffett, Bill Gates himself, of course, uh, Larry Summers, you know Stephen Landsberg, the economist that we we enjoy so much, and it really looks at all sides of this corporate respons- responsibility, uh, social responsibility issue. And one thing I found interesting Ed was Robert Reich, you know former Labor Secretary under uh, Clinton. Mm-hmm. He said. Corporate CSR, and let's just call it CSR from now on. That stands for Corporate Social Responsibility. He said it's as meaningful as cotton candy. (laughs) So (laughs) even somebody you would think would be for it ideologically said, you know, this is a completely ridiculous term. And now he may have different reasons, but I think if you talk about this issue, like you said, you have to understand that corporations are here to serve others and, mostly strangers for the most part, and to Mm -hmm. do well. Uh, They don't start out with, you know, pernicious intent. And one of the essays that your ideas that you have to confront when talking about this is Melton Friedman's famous uh, September 1970 article that he wrote in the New York Times magazine called, The Social Responsibility of Business is to Increase Profits. And in in the book, of course, all the uh, people on the left took took this to task and said, well, that's not really, you know, the goal and that can lead to chaos and all of this stuff. But Friedman's point was a company has to earn a decent return for its shareholders. It's got a fiduciary duty to do so, but it also has to do uh, things under a a legal and ethical framework. It was an obligation. It was an actual and ethical obligation that they had to increase their profits because Fact of the matter is, people that work for corporations are agents, and the shareholders actually own the the, the corporation, and you can't just go spend their money. That was kind of one of his points. I mean, you work in a public corporation, Ed, so this... This has got to be true for you.
2: No, absolutely. We, we, we're we're stewards of the shareholder money, and we we have to we have to take that into into account in the decisions that we make. I mean, it, we have a fiduciary responsibility to do so, and and I and and that's and that's critically important. It, 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 it's a tough situation because I, I think that that the why this gets such play is because it's, as you said, it sounds so right. It's like motherhood and apple pie. Of of course, you know, we're going to be corporately responsible, socially responsible. Of course, we're going to separate out our white paper from the other paper and recycle and do all of these good things. But in in many cases, uh, these things are just things that we would naturally do in business. And we put a a, a a label on it that and throw it into this lump thing called corporate social responsibility I guess to make us all feel better about it I, I don't know I feel pretty good about what I do for Sage I feel pretty good about what Sage does for the world by creating greater freedom for people to succeed by putting good software out. Uh,
1: absolutely uh, yeah the, it, it's a really good point and you know the other thing that, that Friedman pointed out was that because it's not the agent's money who work for the, for the corporation, it's the shareholder's money. He said, if you go out and, and do the business right and innovate and take care of your customers, which, by the way, is no given. Let's face it, most businesses don't make a profit, so we can come back to that. But he said, then what you're doing is you're enhancing their dividends or maybe their capital gains, And then they can take the money and give to the charity of their choosing. It's very important here to point out that both you and I, Ed, I think, and and certainly Melton Friedman in this article, are not anti-charity. That's not what we're arguing. Friedman's arguing that a public corporation doesn't have the right to spend the shareholders' money. Without some type of prior consent, we can talk about the exceptions like whole food. But I think that's a vital point that people love to jump over.
2: Well, and so let me ask you this, Ron. What do you think about corporations making political donations?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would say the same thing. It's it's not their money. Now, we we can get into all the arguments about rent-seeking and, and, hey, if they didn't do this, they might get laws and regulations passed that would work against them. And, therefore, this is an necessary, ordinary and necessary cost of doing business. But – Fact of the matter is, these people have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's right by their shareholders, whether that's save taxes or, or whatever, and it's not their money. And this was the point that Friedman was making, and it's a very ethical and moral point. It's not just an economic point, nor is it just an efficiency point. It's right. an ethical argument.
2: No, it is. It is. And, you know, I think for most small businesses out there that, that are maybe listening to the show, they're almost one and the same. Right. You know, if I'm if I but, I but what I want to come back to your point, though, on on this is it's it's crucial to understand that it's not their money and. Whether or not that that the you you think you're spending it in the right place is irrelevant to the to the question, right? It's, it's not even it's not it's not even germane. It's a moot point from the very beginning. Right. It's and, it's not your money, <laughs> end it, end of story. And it, it, absolutely,
1: Ed. And and I, th- but I think you raise another interesting point. Let, let's talk about are they spending it in the right place? If you look at some of the corporate philanthropy that these corporations engage in it's for the symphony it's for the you know the museums art museums i mean this isn't really lifting the poor out of poverty or solving the world's problems right this is really benefiting <laughs> you know the people in the middle or the people in the upper tiers so you can get into whether they're spending their money on and it should be a personal choice of the shareholders not right. the individual managers that work in the corporation
2: yeah. So and we're, we're clearly not against that. Now, I, I think the, the point being is that unless the, the purpose of the, or intent of the corporation that you're founding is to do some of this stuff. Right, you're not talking about not-for-profits. You're not talking about, or as you said, Whole Foods that say no, 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 no. It, it's part of a part of our foundational documents to give X percent to charity or do certain things within the community or to, to uh, u- use the, the the fair trades type stuff because it's in their founding documents. Right. And it, right. So the, the, that that's an important important thing to make. We're going uh, up against a break here, so let's we're going to take a, a break and. But please, if you have any comments on today's show, please feel free to tweet them out using the hashtag pound T-S-O-E for the soul of enterprise. And we'll take a look at those. Email us also at T-S-O-E at Verisage And we love to get your emails. So we'll follow up right after the break.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
3: As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure, but there are parts of your business, like revenue and expenses, that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting, and reporting, so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit SageOne.com today. Your free trial is waiting.
0: You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Are you interested in the topics discussed on the soul of enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit Verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books, titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at Verisage.com forward slash T-S-O-E. And follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers.
3: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: Are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to the Soul of Enterprise. We are back, and today we're
2: talking about corporate social responsibility, or as the new buzzword calls it, sustainability. And Ron and I have talked about a famous essay by Milton Friedman in which the basic thesis is, hey, the corporations can't do a lot of this stuff or shouldn't do a lot of this stuff because, let's face it, it's not their money. And it's not really just us and Milton Friedman saying this, right? Ron, there's a a famous case in history going back to Henry Ford and the Dodge brothers in, in the early 1900s, right?
1: Yeah, it's actually from the Michigan Supreme Court. Uh, Dodge actually was a shareholder in Ford when it was a public company. And had, this would have been in the, in the 1910s, you know, 1919. So the whole Taylorism era of, you know, increasing efficiency in the factory and all of this. And it's pretty well known that, that Ford, you know, was selling a lot of Model Ts during this time, making a lot of profit. Well, Henry Ford decided to take that profit and do three things with it. First off, he paid his his laborers 5 dollars a day and that was a substantial raise for the time so he had a line of people that were willing and able to work for him he also cut the price of his cars So he gave some of the money to his workers. He gave some of the money to his customers, obviously, in the form of lower prices. And he also took the profits and reinvested and built his bigger plants. And he also was trying to vertically and horizontally integrate the whole production chain of building his cars. And Dodge said, hey, Henry, this is all great, but it's not your money, pal. And he took him to court. And the Michigan Supreme Court ruled, I believe, in 1919 that Dodge was right. And they forced Henry Ford to pay a dividend, and I think Ford got so pissed off he took his company private again.
3: <laughs>
2: yep, yeah, he, he, there was, I remember, there was uh, something on History Channel about this where you know he he went through and through all of the this because hey, he really also wanted to build a, a brand new plant, and uh, he and he didn't want them to benefit from that either. So there was this whole. Big story about how he had to buy all of the this, this shares back in this other other name or through his kids or something like that. But yes, yeah, that's a, it's a it's a really interesting thing about that. You know, when you when you think about it, Ron, you know, the corporate taxes are, are trying to do 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 really the same thing that Henry Ford was trying to do, only in reverse, right? So corporate taxes, in a sense, take away from two big constituencies. Uh, the obvious ones being employees. And all, the, the next one being the customers, right? Because you and I have known, what, thousands, tens of thousands of businesses. All of them manage the tax line let, just like another expense. Absolutely. And that they try to minimize it. Right. When I was hiring people, when we we, we would never figure ju- what just their salary was. We were always th- thinking, okay, fully burdened employee, and we would multiply. You know, so what was going to be their salary times sometimes one point five or one point seven, uh, just so that we knew what was gonna, this going to cost us from a fully burdened employee standpoint, and that you know took other factors into case. But one of the factors that was included in the point seven was the ta- was taxes, right? Right. So it's just and look, this is I think beyond reproach. This idea that corporate taxes, the the place that it's paid for most is wages of employees and in in passed on cost to customers, and even the folks on the left, the the, the Herit, not not just the Heritage Foundation, but um, I can't think of, Buck, Brookings Institute, Brookings, Brookings Institute say, says this is unequivocal <laughs> that this is the case.
1: Yeah, the incidence of taxation. I mean, let's face it, Ed. Corporations don't pay taxes. They collect them. Mm-hmm. And and, and I, this is so poorly understood. I think this is really even poorly understood in, in my recovering profession of, of CPAs. Corporations don't pay taxes. There's nobody here but uh, us people. I, I wish my, my car paid my automobile tax. Unfortunately, I do Buildings don't pay taxes either. I mean, we can call these things whatever we want, but they all fall on individual people. And as you say, it's either coming out of the consumer's pocket in form of higher prices, coming out of the, the laborer's pocket in terms of lower wages, or it's coming in reduced returns to investors and shareholders. And there's pretty good consensus among economists. About 70%, 80% of it is coming out of the hide of workers. And, and we do have the highest corporate income tax rate in the world.
2: Which, which leads us to a conversation I think is very germane to today's topic, and that is the, the Burger King's acquisition of Tim Hortons in Canada and this the quote unquote tax inversion that they they're doing and uh, i know we both have some lots of thoughts on, on that uh, but but first if you wouldn't mind what 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 do you think about the whole idea of this this tax inversion thing and the bad press that they're getting it sounds to me the way that you read the stories it sounds like they're avoiding any and all tax Whenever you read something, yeah,
1: I, which is pure nonsense, because Burger King is still going to pay corporate income tax for the dollars it earns in the United States of America. It it's not going to have to pay on worldwide sales. It it can avoid some of that, not all of it, but it, and and so these inversions are being done because of high income tax rates. So on the one hand, the government likes to point at these companies, call them traders, you know Benedict Arnolds. On the other hand, they write the very policies that provide the incentive to do this again, these people are fiduciaries for the shareholders money and they have an obligation to lower their tax bill.
2: And wouldn't they be in some cases, I mean, you could, you could argue that the sec could get after them for not lowering their tax burden because they're not being fiduciary responsible.
1: Absolutely. Or the shareholders could bring a class action suit against them. I mean, there's a lot of liability here. There's a great, uh, Article in the Economist Dad, on 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 government punishing corporations and criminalizing their behavior. This is from the August thirtieth, September fifth issue of the Economist. It's a cover story. And it's called the criminalization of American businesses. In the early nineties, there were three hundred thousand laws and regulations that could produce criminal liability for a corporation or the employees thereof. And that number has got to be, uh, you know, an underestimate uh, by today's standards, 300,000. Wow. I, I, wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. So when when you see these inversion things, and, you know, this is the seventh time, I think, that they, they're saying seven times the lucky one, you know, for Burger King because they're seventh owner. Um, but it, it's, I find it funny that Mr. Buffett, who's, who calls for higher corporate taxes and high, higher personal taxes on the wealthy, is involved in this deal, um, you know. Even though I guess he's, he says publicly he's against it, but he's dumping some big bucks into it.
2: Well, yeah, and well, I, I don't know that he's ever said that he was he was against or or for higher corporate taxes. I don't know if I've ever heard him say that. I certainly think that he's he's made the point that you know he and his secretary shouldn't have or he shouldn't pay less as a Correct. percentage basis than his secretary. Now, I, I think that he's then made the argument for higher taxation on him as an individual, to which point I usually just say, listen, uh, Mr. Buffett, why don't you just go make a, a, a one-time payment to the Treasury, which anyone can do. If you go to, tra- I think it's treasury.gov slash pay or something, they will let let, let you do a a, a payment where to pay down the national debt. A- absolutely G- you're, you're get, right log on log on <laughs> make your make your dang <laughs> payment your
1: voluntary contribution <laughs> voluntary
2: uh, contribution go for it and nobody's going to stop you and oh by the way if you really think that government does a better job of spending this money why do you have these foundations that spend your money where you want to spend it
1: or give it to the other richest guy in the world and let him spend it for you Right. <laughs> right. The Bill and Melinda Gates found it, which he's pleased, pledged his fortune to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you, you know, this, this kind of goes back to this whole thing, Ed, that there's some type of mutual exclusivity between socially responsible behavior and profits. And that kind of drives me crazy because, like we talked about in our ethics program, enterprise is a serious moral undertaking. It requires kindness to strangers and 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 a whole range of virtues from prudence to risk taking to caring for others and serving others and putting their interests first no let 's face it no no customer goes into a, a a store to please the shop owner they're there to to shop and look w- for what they want, and the shop owner has to please them if he expects them to buy or come back so this whole idea that, that profits are socially irresponsible and in this book I, I was talking about creative uh, capitalism, Warren Buffett actually calls for 3% of the corporate income tax raised to be devoted to a fund that would be administered by some representative of corporate America uh, to be used in intelligent ways for the long-term benefit of society. And I'm thinking, well, first off, who's that omniscient <laughs> to know you know how to spend three percent of the corporate tax revenue we raise, but uh, why does he think that corporations aren't doing this on their own?
2: <laughs> absurd, absolutely absurd. I mean, and, and, well, this gets get, gets back to a point that we've we've made, I think, on previous shows, but it's it's absolutely worth repeating that. You know the really profits are an indicator of altruism, and this is this is from George Gilder, who we're both big fans of i have said this in front of hundreds of audiences, and I got to tell you that there there's nothing that gets a rise out of most people like making that statement and until you begin to explain it to them that look altruism means other centeredness, other directedness focused on the on on other people and isn't that exactly what most organizations, most companies do? They focus on other people. The other people happens to be called a customer, and you have to be focused on their needs, their wants, their desires in, in, in order for them to pay you. That you, there's, no, uh, there's nobody going around with, with uh, guns saying, you must pay me for my product or I will shoot you. Right, right. We can talk
1: about big business and we're all beholden to big business. What nonsense. I mean, Shell Oil can't force me to buy their product any more than IBM or Apple or Microsoft or anybody else. And the other thing that I find just absolutely amazing is if if Bill Gates didn't – if he had followed his advice when he was at Microsoft, when he was leading Microsoft and founding it and doing everything he did to make it successful – He wouldn't have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. What does he think created the wealth in the first place, so he could give it away? (laughs) I mean, I mean, it's the whole putting the, the the cart before the horse. It's just mind boggling to me that. And and by the way, you know, he was in a in a company that made I would I would call it super normal profits at the least. You might even say in in the category of windfall profits. Most companies don't have the profits to distribute. Think of airlines, think of grocery stores, or even fast food chains. They don't have all this excess profit that they can use uh, for these uh, f- philanthropic endeavors.
2: No, it, and and I, and I think that's another misnomer too. Is that the, that that all companies are making super windfall profits? Uh, it, that, that is clearly not the not the case, but you know and, and but who is to say you know this gets back and i think your your point raises it raises an interesting question for me it gets back to you know Ayn Rand's concept of of the sanction of the victims and that why is it that so many business people feel guilty about the work that they do, and in creating wealth for not only themselves, and that this is the this is the thing that I think is constantly missed—not only themselves but other people. It is a win-win, as we've demonstrated before. It is not a zero-sum game. Business is not zero-sum. And and you know
1: Ed, just a final point, and then we'll go to break. But you know, capitalism is the only known via. It's the only known antidote to poverty. It's lifted millions of people out of poverty, and it's the only system that ever has. Period. And this idea that if, if, you know the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation—sure, it's going to do a lot of good, but I'll tell you, it's not going to do a tenth of the good that Microsoft itself did. Uh, so, folks. Yeah. So, folks, when we come back, I, I, we want to talk about the Johnson and Johnson credo, which we find kind of interesting, and kind of contrast it with what Friedman, Melton Friedman was arguing in his, in his paper, that the social responsibility of business is to increase its profits. And in the meantime, please reach us at, uh, via email at tsoe at verisage.com, or you can tweet about the show or afterwards at uh, hash, uh, tsoe hashtag. And uh, Ed and I will certainly, we read all the emails. And in fact, we have one here that we might get to a little bit later on in the show And when we come back, we're going to explore the J&J credo after this word from our sponsor, Sage One. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple
3: iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business like revenue and expenses that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting, and reporting so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit SageOne.com today. Your free trial is waiting.
0: You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing Together, we plan your marketing strategy, install a website that gets results, and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Are you interested in the topics discussed on The Soul of Enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit Verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at Verisage.com forward slash TSOE. And follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers. We're always talking business.
3: Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to the soul of enterprise.
2: Earlier Ron talked about Milton Friedman and a famous paper that he wrote, and but we wanted to contrast that with what founder RW Johnson wrote in his credo in 1943 about ethical decisions that were would be made by the organization Johnson and Johnson and of course they they applied this in their famous uh, Tylenol poisonings of 1982 and 1986 which I mean I think it ended up costing them I don't know hundred and Forty million or so, a uh, huge, huge number. And uh, Ron, you, you say they actually have this in stone outside their their corporate <laughs> offices. Is that right?
1: Yeah, they do. And we should probably get a picture of it and put it up, but people can go to Google and, and see it. But and and the Credo lays out their order of responsibility, and I, this is the thing that's very intriguing because I saw somebody ask Melton Friedman this. Um, They say their first responsibility is to their doctors, nurses, hospitals, mothers, basically the customers who use their products, right, to make products that are good, that do what they say they're going to do, efficacious, all of that. And then their second responsibility is to those who work with them. So this is their employees, right? Mm -hmm. And their third responsibility is their management. So this, these are the agents. So you, you're putting the agents here above the principles in, in their chain here. Their fourth responsibility is to the communities in which they operate. You know, be a good citizen, you know, don't pollute, but follow the laws, all of that. You know, pay your taxes. And their the fifth and last responsibility is to their stockholders. Now, Melton Friedman was, this credo was put in front of him and he was asked doesn't this contradict what you say about a corporation's only social responsibility is to increase profits? And he said, no, he said, this is what I'm saying. He says, if they have to do all of these things, even in that order to increase their profits, then they're operating in an ethical, moral framework. They're operating within the law. They're providing goods and services that people want, desire. They're innovating. He said, you know, that, that's key and that's driving profit he said that is my argument they're just saying it in a different way and you know and the other thing about this corporate social responsibility that Melton Friedman points out is uh, it, not only is it not their money that's one of his arguments but he's got another argument that I think is might actually be more powerful not certainly from a moral perspective standpoint, but from a, a economic standpoint, he says businesses are very focused and specialized entities. They don't know how to lift people out of poverty. They don't know how to cure malaria or other of the world's problems. They know how to make cars. They know how to make toasters. They know how to make computers or software in your case. You can't expect them to do stuff that's outside of their knowledge zone.
2: No, and, but, but I think at the same time, you know, it, it, it's, it's okay for some of these companies to to, to try to do some of these things that they perceive as good where I don't think we're, we're arguing against that. I, I want to bring up another point though, because this gets into something that you and I talk an awful lot about, and that is the difference between, uh, purpose and results. Right. And yes. I, th- I think one, one way to, to think of it, and we, we're, and we're trying to square this circle that we've, we've, uh, Plated painted out here with the contrasting, Friedman with the the Johnson credo is the result of a business is always going to well not always it should be to make a profit that's the result, but then but that's not the purpose, right? The per the purpose is in the you know the case of Sage to 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 create greater freedom for folks to succeed. That's that's in our 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 purpose and other businesses have these purpose statements that don't talk about making profit they talk about serving customers and in the case of Johnson Johnson credo they believe that their first responsibility is to adopters and others who use their products so they must be the highest quality that's really what their purpose is and then what they're listing here is in, in order of precedent th- their purpose and i think they're right in a in a sense that this last thing that they they do but again it's the result of all of the other things that they do which is to produce a profit if they do these first four things well well, then the result will be to produce a profit. Right. And,
1: and, and look, those first four things are tough. As you know, it's tough to stay on the cutting edge of innovation and come out with new products and try and stay ahead of the market and all of that. The, the, those are not givens. That's a lot of work in and of itself. And to be distracted by other concerns that you really don't have any expertise in, it's kind of delusional. You know, and, and what you said about the purpose uh, versus the goal of a or uh, you know the result. objective of yeah the result of a business i mean H- henry ford i think uh, said it very eloquently when he said business must be run at a profit else it will die but when anyone tries to run a business solely for profit then also the business must die for it no longer has a reason for existence and david Packard said much the same thing and and you, if you look at any of these great entrepreneurs steve jobs they all said this it's that's not the purpose of a business to create a profit it, it, it's an outcome, but it's not why we exist. We exist to, like Steve Jobs said, to put a dent in the world.
2: <laughs> in, cool, the u- pretty, in the universe. In the universe. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not or, just the you, world, the universe. Or, or produce
1: are, really cool things,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, in a lot of ways, there's overlap here because it turns out to be good business. I, I've recently become a fan of the show Selfridge. Or Mister Selfridge, I'm sorry on on uh, PBS, and it, it, it I, I love it for a couple of reasons. But the first reason is that it is finally a show on television, PBS no less, Ron PBS that that portrays the business owner as a good as the good guy. And that's and that's rare. I mean, look <laughs> it, at is rare. it is anything. rare. It is rare. Even Avatar,
1: right? Uh, the businessman's always the evil person it's, lurking yeah, in the background.
2: I, I you know, it, I have asked that question in front of audiences: Na- name the last movie or television show where you saw that the, the business person was portrayed as the good guy. And the only answer that I ever got from a friend of ours, Robert Wood, was was Batman, Batman. <laughs> which, <laughs> and you know, which Bruce Wayne is the is the <laughs> is the good guy. But he's a, of course, he's a vigilante, good guy. But he's a good guy. Just,
1: right. Even our <laughs> beloved Simpsons has you know, Burns. Right, evil Mister
2: Burns. Burns yeah, right, yeah. right. The, but Selfridge is is perceived. I mean, he's got Piccadillos and all kinds of stuff. He's not. you're not portrayed as a saint. But from a business context, he's portrayed as the good guy. In this this past, I guess they call them uh, seasons or series because it's a BBC show. In series two, and I don't want to spoil too much. I won't give away the, the the details of the show. But there's a there's a section was a scene where some of some of the union guys are trying to get the employees at Selfridges to join their union. And they end up showing up at this meeting hall place, you know, and and they they're rallying them up, and he's, he says, well, and the guys from Selfridge says, well, what are you going to do for us? He says, well, I'm going to make sure that you know you get paid overtime for working, you know, I think it was more than 50 hours a week. Uh, I'm going to make sure that you can you you're you you have uh, you know health care and uh, provided to you, and I'm going to make sure that you know you, th- that your widows are compensated for, and all of this stuff. That he goes through this litany of things, and the guys the guys are standing around from that are working for selfridges and he goes well we already have that <laughs> right because selfridge in order to hire some of and and retain some of the best workers had he and they they point this out in the show yeah mr selfridge has a dentist come, come in once once a week and anyone that's having a problem with their teeth you know we just go see the dentist right there on site <laughs> it sounds like google sounds like google right well they and, g- and
1: dry cleaning and all of this stuff
2: exactly because he he recognized that in in order to to keep the best talent he he went above and beyond and but again he's he's famous for being but the you know the customer is first it was the customer first and then well i think he really put his his employees first even though he said it was the customer first and it, there's just uh, evidence of that over and over again in his thinking that it was really the employees and customers. There again is this idea of of being altruistic, of other centered, other directed toward outside of themselves, right? Not it's not focused on internal profit. It's not just me, 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 me. Right. No, I, I, absolutely I mean, you know, Larry Summers in this book
1: Creative Capitalism made a very good point. He said, okay you want to talk about creative capitalism or or CSR, however you want to term it. He says, I've got a wonderful creative capitalist idea. He says, Promoting home ownership is a great thing, right? People have a stake in the economy. They have a stake. And they're going to take care of their home. They're going to build equity. They're going to become responsible citizens and all of that. He said, so we should promote home ownership. So let's create government sponsored enterprises to help do this. This is a great CSR type of undertaking. And it produced Fanny and <laughs> and Freddie Mac. I mean, mm, I wonder where I, this story is yeah. going. <laughs> wow. And, and Ed, this was from Larry Summers. You know, the former president of Harvard and, and Clinton and even Obama's chief economic advisor, no man of the right, I might add, mm-hmm. you know, and he really took these, this concept of creative, creative capitalism to task. He said, this is ludicrous, you know, because this is the kind of thing or we could talk about Solyndra or these other rent-seeking types of behaviors that the governments and, and corporations can engage in. And this is what's known in the field as pernicious CSR. You know when when companies lobby for tariffs or quotas against foreign goods because you know none of us like competition in whatever it is we're selling, right? Or if if they if they go after uh, if they sell fair trade coffee or you know something like that, these are all things that are pernicious. I mean, Steven Landsberg pointed out the best thing Nike can do for underdeveloped countries like Africa or, or anywhere else, he said, is not to sell them sneakers at a low price. It's to make them productive to produce sneakers for the rich world that will actually carry them out of poverty. And that's a really good point.
2: Yeah, and and people get crazed over this, you know, the the whole Apple, what uh, is what is it, Foxconn uh, challenge that that was laid down. And look, I'm not suggesting that it's a good thing that people that that where if there are you know armed guards outside a factory trying to keep people in that that's a that's a good thing. I'm a libertarian. That's 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 absolutely incorrect. That's wrong. But in many cases, some of the folks who are working in these factories, you know, the alternative was standing in a rice field for. For for hours upon end, right? Exactly. I mean the 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 and, and uh, I think it was it was uh, Professor McCloskey brought this up. You know, l- let's take a look at, at at how many people have been uplifted out of bone crunching poverty, abject, nasty, brutish, and short life in the last thirty years. Yep, even Ed, in the last ten or twenty, we've lifted almost
1: eight hundred million or close to nine hundred million. I think it is out of you know a, a dire poverty, mostly in India and China, but in other places as well. And there's only one thing that did that, and it's called capitalism. Uh, I, I mean, that's it. That's, that's it. That's the only antidote to this poverty. So to say that this isn't socially responsible, you know, biz, uh, Michael Novak in his wonderful book called Business is a Calling argues that the moral of capitalism, why it's a moral system is because it's the only thing that cures poverty. And and that's a point that's often overlooked. Amen. So, folks, when we come back from this break, we'll we'll wrap up uh, uh, with some final thoughts uh, from Michael Novak and maybe some others. Uh, after this word from our sponsor, Sage One.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
3: As an entrepreneur, you're on an adventure. But there are parts of your business like revenue and expenses that don't feel very adventurous. At Sage One, we get it. We give you tools like easy invoicing, simple accounting, and reporting so you can tackle your less exciting tasks by automating them. Stronger control of the numbers means more opportunities for profits. Sage One has integrated payment options that can actually increase your cash flow. Getting paid faster? Yes, please. It's time to take the boring out of business and get back in the action. Visit SageOne.com today. Your free trial is waiting.
0: You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing Together, we plan your marketing strategy, install a website that gets results, and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Are you interested in the topics discussed on The Soul of Enterprise? Would you like to explore them in more detail? Visit Verisage.com forward slash books for links to Ron Baker's books. Titles such as Pricing on Purpose, Measure What Matters to Customers, and his latest, Implementing Value Pricing. You can also find a wealth of resources, case studies, and frequently asked questions. Learn more about Ed and Ron and their radio show at Verisage.com forward slash TSOE. And follow Ron on LinkedIn. He's one of the influencer bloggers.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here.
0: Voice America
1: Business Network.
0: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. And just just to
1: wrap up, Ed, uh, I would have to vote after exploring this issue with you and just on my own and the reading I've done. I, I would say CSR, even this whole sustainability movement, if you want to call it that, or the triple bottom line, there's all sorts of names for it. I, I really do think it's more PR than progress. If the world wants progress to fight poverty, uh, then it needs more capitalism, not more CSR.
2: Yeah, amen, brother. I, I, I definitely think that that's the case. And it's un, un, unfortunate, too, because I, I think on what has happened is the quote-unquote marketers have gotten a hold of this uh, and turned it into something that it's that it really is not intended to be. Uh, it's, it's really, in any case, it's supposed to be authentic. Um, and it's and it's not. I, I did want to mention one one last thing on this. I, at our conference, Sage Summit this past year, Biz Stone was who the founder of Twitter talked about uh, one potential marketing strategy. And it, it was a marketing strategy in this. And I think it, it, it goes to your point. He said, if you got four million dollars to spend on marketing, maybe you should give away three million of it to a charity and spend the other million talking about what you did. <laughs> and I, I don't know whether, whether that is the the most blatant example of this being quote-unquote marketing or potentially the most brilliant example of where you could make it work. It certainly
1: doesn't fit in with the concept of, of compassionate charity. I mean, we do charity because we want to do it, right? Not because of the, the, the PR it's going to get us and the accolades. I mean, the, the best charity I know of is is uh, Anonymous.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, Right. Yeah.
1: People that give the most don't talk about it.
2: No. Nope. As Peter Block puts it, once, once you try to once you professionalize care, it ceases to be care.
1: A- absolutely. You can't professionalize compassion, you know, in at least not in that way. But yeah, so I, I, I think it's PR, but uh, certainly it's a debate that will continue. There's a great article on sustainability in the recent uh, Economist as well on the same issue. And they basically say, this, uh, this is the wrong word. You know, it's really, these are efficiency things, recycling, knocking out waste, you know, saving energy. This isn't anything to do with sustainability, which can't even be defined. Uh, it's more just about increasing efficiency, which corporations already have an automatic built-in incentive to do anyway.
2: Yep, true, true. So we got an email this uh, week, Ron.
1: We did Ed from Tim Rodman, and uh, this comes com- comes from us on. Uh, I think he wrote last week sometime, and he said, "Ron and Ed, I recently started listening to your show." He said, "So far, I'm up to appraisal agony." <laughs> so, so uh, Tim, we hope you enjoy that one. We had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and and he wrote to me that he was happy to learn on the, the the show that I started in accounting as well, but have successfully transitioned out of the department where all I. Idea- where all good ideas go to die. <laughs> so <laughs> Tim started uh, in accounting, too. He was an auditor at Deloitte. and Of course, I, I worked at KPMG. Um, but he asks us this question, Ed, and it's very, very thought-provoking. Uh, he says, Ron and Ed, maybe you can cover this in a future show, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on personal branding in the professional arenas like blogs, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Are consumers really more likely to buy from a person than an organization? What should motivate someone to spend time cultivating a brand around their own name? And, and I think that's an interesting question because you're certainly out there on social media and you've got a, a, quite a big following on your blog and you know, you're know you considered a thought leader in, in your field. I, I prefer and, the term knowledge badass. Badass. Okay, agree. I, I hate the term <laughs> thought leader as well. but. Heck, you're even the thought leader in, in, in my former profession in, in the CPA world. You're, you're somebody that is held up in high regard. And, you know, I've written some books and, yeah, I've made, uh, you know, top 100 people list, all of this type of thing. But I never set out to do that. I guess my model has always been Peter Drucker or George Gilder. You just study something and you write about it or you speak about it, you're passionate about it. And and people that are attracted to your viewpoint will follow you, and I do think in that way, you know, you can build up a, a, whether you want to call it a personal brand or a reputation or a following. That that's kind of how I did it. I didn't set out to brand myself.
2: Right, and I think that that's a, that could be a, this could be a whole another show, and maybe we'll have our friend Tim Williams on where we talk about the difference between a brand and reputation. And I think that's probably what Tim means, uh, Tim Rodman means on this, this, this idea is that reputation. I'm, I'm a big believer in it. I have, have done it. And like you said, I didn't, I didn't set out to do it. Anything that I've done in in the personal branding space has been completely almost on accident. It's just because I, wanted to do it. I I started my blog not because I thought other people would read it, but because I I needed an outlet for myself. And what I found is that blogging made me a better public speaker because when you're writing something, you have to write and be succinct about it and make sure that you're conveying the concept for someone who's only going to read this once. When you're speaking, as you know, Ron, if somebody looks at you quizzically, you can just try to explain it a different way. And it really just in, – in one thing enhanced the next. And then once I had a blog set up and then Twitter came along and I said, oh, I connect these two things together and I connect it to Facebook and I all of this stuff. So it's really ha- hasn't been a plan, but in the end, that's what it's done. It's created my personal brand. And our, our friend our, and colleague at Verisage, Michelle Golden, has a great analogy that she uses to, to do this. And what, it's a rock star type thing, right, Ron? Yes, yes. Doesn't she say, you know, like a radio station
1: or, or a record label, you know, they have, they have talent, right? They have rock stars. And there might be a whole bunch of different ones. But just like a radio station has on-air talent. And just like, you know, companies are going to have rock stars in, in their ranks like you, Ed, are at SAGE.
2: Yeah, and, and the the brands of the company are then perceived as smart for signing that particular act, right? Uh, right. Columbia Records was si- smart for signing, I don't know, I think Billy Joel and Bruce Springsteen were both on Columbia, right? They, they, they were smart right. to do that, right? And then I guess if you get big enough, you do become your own brand. Like the Beatles had to do Apple Records, <laughs> but then they signed <laughs> other talent, right, once they sure. got rolling on it.
1: Like Oprah, Martha Stewart, they're all brands. The other thing, too, Ed, I think it feeds on itself, doesn't it? I mean, it starts to spiral upwards once you start blogging and speaking and all these things. It all does come together in this kind of confluence of of more influence. And that certainly happened to me uh, when I became a LinkedIn influencer. And I think the other really key point about this, too, is I've always felt that it's really important to give your intellectual capital away. Because if I give it away either through books or on this radio show or in other formats, then I've got to replenish it. And it kind of keeps me at the cutting edge, or at least I try and stay at the cutting edge of, of events. Uh, and I can only do that if I give it
2: away. Right, as opposed to trying to just ho- hold on to it. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, it was it, the people were very concerned that I would give away my PowerPoints, not not as just PDF files, but as actual P, as actual PowerPoints. No, here's, here, here's the whole PowerPoint presentation. And I was like, could be people, well, then you just take your stuff. I said, well, they can't deliver it the way I do. <laughs> That's right.
1: They're, From, they're not Ed. You're kind yeah. of a monopoly. But I do think people hire people inside companies, not the organizations themselves, at least in the professional arena. But, Ed, why don't you talk about next week's show because it's really, really exciting.
2: I am beyond thrilled and honored for next week's show to happen because we're going to have my mentor or one of my mentors uh, in, in business life, a gentleman by the name of Howard Hansen, and then his partner in uh, – in, 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 and really Howard says that Steve is his mentor, Steve Jeske. And they, they have written, I believe, a, landbra- a landmark book uh, called Healing Leadership in which they posit this is the theory. The only thing that is going to heal the human race – uh, is small and medium businesses. Church organizations can't do it. Uh, NGOs can't do it. Governments can't do it. And even they say to a certain extent, big businesses can't do it. It's got to be small and medium businesses and entrepreneurs that are going to heal the human race. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to to, uh, to having them on the show and, and getting their thoughts and insights. Uh, it, folks, this is going to be the the anti- rory sutherland show because howard and steve are both thoughtful uh much slower spoken uh and uh but the ideas are are nonetheless profound and exciting and I, i i for one can't wait to have them on me too and i really look forward to that
1: so i'll see you back here in what 167 hours yep This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage One, online accounting software designed to create freedom for small businesses to succeed. Join us next week at Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, where we'll have guests Howard Hansen and Steve Jeske. In the meantime, feel free to inter- uh, email us at tsoe at verisage.com. See you next week.